Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that is excited to announce it has signed Shohei Otani to a, a 10-year deal. That's right. The, the free agent wait is over. He's coming to stargazing. Mark, how excited are you about this? I'm pretty fired up that we could finance it because obviously we couldn't just pay cash on it. I put it on my credit card. And I like so, it. Yeah, yep. it's, it's fine. No, call in, get your credit limit raised a little bit and you're good. I'm sure it'll work out. You know, the the it's going to be fine. But you know, what? Why not? Why not piggyback on the biggest sports news of the day? Of course, we're not really going to talk about baseball. Shock and awe. We're going to talk about the Dallas Stars. They've had an interesting, um, <laughs> interesting four games since we last spoke. They've they've blown out. They've been blown out. They've lost a squeaker and they've won a squeaker and and we've maybe learned some things, question mark. Uh, We're going to talk about where the goals are coming from. We're going to talk about where the goals against are coming from. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit just about kind of what the vibe is, what we've learned as we head into this, you know, kind of the holiday break and what the outlook, you know, realistically what the stars can do about it moving forward. And Mark, uh, I want to lead off with a question, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Make it an easy one. Oh, it's going to be a slam dunk. Who leads the Dallas Stars in even strength scoring? Even even the national broadcasters got this one right. Tyler Sagan. That's right. He has uh, he he atop the team five on five is Tyler Sagan. Even strength technically Joe Pavelski. Oh, a little four <laughs> on four action there. A little four on four action. He's got uh, P- Pavs has eighteen points at um, even strength. Sagan has 16 points, but Tyler does lead with nine even strength goals. Uh, Let me ask you a different question. How many players are between Tyler Sagan in first place with nine and Jason Robertson? Well, Robertson's had a few lately that I think were five. I would say maybe seven. Oof. It's six. It was close. Oh, good. Oh, hey, what do you know? And it's in 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 Jason Robertson's defense, it's a good list of names, right? So it's Sagan's in first. Then you have a three-way tie. So Wyatt Johnston, Mason Marchment, Joe Pavelski all have six goals compared to Sagan's nine. Then you've got uh, Robertson is technically tied with Harley Hintz, Duchesne for that spot. So there are there are three names between Sagan and Robertson once you adjust for, um, you know, once you adjust for like ties and and that nonsense. Well, pretty much you could argue that I'm way off or that I'm exactly right. It's the beauty of statistics, Mark. Yeah, I love it. And and of course, I wanted to start with even not because it's it's a, you know, kind of it it tends to be a good barometer of how a team is actually playing. Right. A a good power play can prop up a bad team. A bad power play can sink. When you when you look at a team's performance relative to, you know, their opposition, what they're doing at even strength tends to be the best bellwether of, of how the team is playing overall, right? So it's interesting to me. We, we've seen lately the some press around, you know, the Duchesne signing has obviously worked out. Mace the Ace is, is back. Mush is doing a good job and, and Sagan as well. So that unit has been, um, you know, as hoped for, not as advertised, which I think is a good thing for the Stars. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that over the last month, it's probably been the Stars' top line. I would say so, and they've needed it, right? Because we have seen a little bit more 
uneven production out of the Ben line, right? They've had stretches where they're fantastic. They've had stretches where they're not. And we've seen the same, frankly, out of the top line. Whereas, you know, we as, as Star fans are kind of used to the, um, you know, the hence Robertson Pavelski line effectively being a cheat code. And that just hasn't been the case this season. We, well, we kind of got into, I, 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 Tried to stick my foot in my mouth in the comments uh, for my preview yesterday, and and said said a bad word about Joe Pavelski, um, which which kind of shocked me just because I'd been plowing through hockey viz and and was looking at synthetic goals and was reading that Joe Pavelski's been kind of falling off the last year and a half to the point where he is really no longer the uh, the equal partner on that trio with Hints and Robertson. I don't want to lay anything at the feet of anybody, but you know, Father Time is uh, is perhaps catching up to him in his game. He's still awesome at at uh, at, at tipping the puck. He's he, he's got a sneaky little shots to the hard areas. He he's very productive, but you throw him and Robertson as an F one or an F two on a four check, and defenses tend to skate around him. So. Sticking with it, we talked about scoring. He does lead that trio in in both goals and assists primaries. So I guess, sorry, not primaries. Uh, Jason Robertson has 10 primaries. Um, I'm sorry, Pavelski has 12. So yeah, you've got a guy from an offensive production standpoint, he is doing the job. And, and we're talking about the line struggling. It's not like they're underwater, right? They, they tend to pick at, right? Whether it's scoring chances, goals, goals for, expect all that. They still are above what they're supposed to they're still they're still outplaying their competition but we're used to seeing that number be kind of obscene now it's just kind of they're they're just they're a good unit and yeah, i mean they, yeah. they they were a 640 unit last year and they're yeah. they're closer to a 50 50 unit this year and yeah that's, they're they're a 50, that's not something you expect. 55 yeah. 54 yeah it's it's all much more even yeah and fortunately for the dallas stars the the Duchesne Sagan and Marshman line has kind of flopped that over, and now they're a sixty forty line. Well, it's it's you know I think you're right about Father Time, and I, I definitely think you're right about you know there there are potentially some limitations in style to the way that that Pavelski and Robertson move um, on the ice. I could see that this is also though an, a, a, it speaks highly of the DeBoer system and the need to have multiple scoring lines rolling because the the idea, right, is if everybody is a little bit dangerous, then on any given night, somebody gets matched up against the third line. And so I wonder, you know, what we're seeing could very well just be a case of teams are rightfully adjusting to the Robertson line and trying to, you know, definitively shut them down and ask for everyone else. And, and maybe it's possible on any given night to keep two of the three groups a little bit quiet, but can't can't really keep all three of them down. Yeah, and that's the general theory here with rolling all the lines is that most most teams will have a solid top two pairs, but their third pair is going to be a little questionable. And if you're rolling three offensive to forward lines, somebody's going to have that third pair for most of the time, and and they're going to take advantage. And, and so they need whether, to, yeah, and they need to, and and. You know, maybe one of the star's issues is the line that we haven't brought up, which is the, the Wyatt Johnston, Jamie Benn, and, and the Donov line have not really taken advantages of the mismatches that they've had at least five on five. No, to the point where, you know, Dadanov was scratched this past week. 
And, yeah. you know, that line has, and we've, we even saw the old blender come out, right? Jamie Ben spent some time on the top line. Um, and, and yeah, it's pretty clear that mojo wise that, that unit needs a little bit of a, of an adjustment. Yeah. And it's not like you want to go out there and mess with the Duchesne line, but something like, like swapping Ben and Robertson there, I think is something that you need to do throughout the season. Mm -hmm. Just if nothing else, you want to keep lines from getting too stale, but you also want to see, you know, what, what kind of lightning in a bottle you can grab. And there's a reason to think that maybe somebody like Jamie Ben can contribute to that, uh, to that top line by offering something that Jason uh, Jason Robertson doesn't, and Robertson certainly, if you put him with uh, with Wyatt Johnston and, uh, and and Dodonov, can take advantage of the of the tenacity of those two. Dodonov kind of gets wasted a little bit with that trio because he's really hard on the puck, but he's he's small, and and but his speed I think can. Uh, offset some of the issues that Robertson has with Fritz. Yeah. And I, I think especially with, with Johnston, right. If you, he needs, in my opinion, the, who he's with matters so because so, so much of what he does is getting into and finding space and Johnston needs to be, you know, how many of his, how many of his goals have come as a result of him just standing in the right spot? Not, not just stand. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize, but how much of the work does he do before he gets the puck? Almost like his, you know, almost like his landlord, right? So you need to put him in a situation with somebody that can kind of reliably deliver it to those dangerous areas versus, you know, somebody that is is a a shooter in and of themselves. Yeah, and and here especially you have somebody like Robertson on that line, you're going to draw a significant amount of attention, and so that's the kind of stuff that Wyatt Johnston and his game take advantage of on a regular basis. Yeah, and they need to, and it's it's interesting too because we're we're sitting here talking about Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson, and we're talking about them using struggling language, right? Um, where do now we're now we're going to go to all strengths? So so overall, where do Robertson and Pavelski rank in scoring on the stars right now? Oh, well, I, I mean, there's there's kind of a logjam at the top, right? Because yeah. uh, the 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 top two lines have spread it out pretty well, and so if if somebody they're in goals they're up there in assists because both lines have been pretty productive so i would top six well it's funny there the that line is one two three so pavelski leads the stars with 25 points robo has 24 and then hence has 22 then it's it's what you said the balance is just it's it's the balance is a thing of beauty right you've got you know 25 24 22 then duchene at 20 johnston marchman ben and sagan all have 18 miro has 16 then thomas harley has 10 right so you've got this super even distribution which again the deborah system right no one person is is out there dominating night in and night out they're they're kind of getting it from everywhere and the result of that is you wind up with a team that it's weird. We're, we're like I said, we're talking about Pavelski and limitations. We're talking about Robertson that he's struggling, and he is compared to last season. But we're talking about the eighth. You know, if, if you look at goals, right, that they've scored more goals than all but you know seven other teams in the league, and they've got this this amazing depth up front. So it's it's just kind of interesting to see the way that this is playing out because I think you could very well make the case. You know, Ben's had a couple of cold streaks. Johnston's been quiet a little bit lately. Dadnoff has been benched. Um, you know, Robertson isn't playing at the pace that he did last season. And yet, top 10 
game and I've just named most of the leading scorers on it. So it's it's a, a both a it's a testament to what this team has been able to accomplish accomplish and kind of a tantalizing glimpse of if if some of these guys start inching back towards, you know, previous performance levels, this thing could accelerate quickly. Yeah, exactly. And and really you take a look at what we're talking about this year and you compare it to what we would have been talking about the last couple of years, especially going back two or three years. And we're, we're nitpicking at this point. You have to be happy with what the offense is doing. The, the DeBoer system rolling lines is, is for the most part working. And what you're doing is, is tweaking little things here and there uh, on something that's already very good. Well, and for me, I think the reason that you tweak, and we we talked about this down the stretch last season, is and, and just to put it more into context, right? Dallas is is second in the conference. They're they're one point behind Colorado, with with a game in hand. Sorry, in the Central, and you know they are fifth, I think, in the NHL and do three four. Yeah, fifth in the NHL in points percentage. So even with their recent struggles, this is still a fantastic team, and and the mentality I think needs to be. You know, we need to be talking about Jason Robertson struggling because he's only on an 80 point pace versus 105 point pace. Like that's that's fair. That's what this team has kind of asked us for. Right. And in the same way with with thinking about line combinations, this is no longer a thing about what do they need to do to get you know competitive. This is a what flexibility does Dallas need to build right now so that when they're in a playoff series with Winnipeg? Right. Or when they have to get through the Avs or the wild or, or you know, the Oilers or whoever. Right. They need to, what do they need to do to beat the to beat the Knights this time around? Right. So we need to be thinking about the team and it's fair to be holding the team to that standard. And it's, it's interesting to me to see DeBoer starting to go to some changes in the forwards, because right now he has so many guys that are proving to be options. Right. Right, and and you want to take a look at line dynamics. So, for instance, last year you had Tyler Sagan play a lot with Mason Marchment, and it wasn't terrible, but it, it wasn't this lightning in a bottle that that you got when you threw Matt Duchesne into the middle of that. And so you take a look at what Matt Duchesne brings, which is speed, tenacity, and the, the ability to distribute the puck. And with him distributing the puck, it opens Sagan up. Sagan doesn't have to be the number one option, but as a number two option, he has his shot. And then you give Mason Marchment this this little jolt of confidence, and all of a sudden he doesn't think he, that he has to put it all on his back. And we saw this a lot last year where he would go on these these one on three deals where where he would flail his way in and probably get a shot off, but ultimately just turn the puck over. And now he can be somebody who plays off of Duchesne and gets set up. And he does now does the things that he does best and he's confident doing it. And and you see the results on the ice. And I think as well, I I love the point you're making about what the dynamic Duchesne brings. Because on on the point of Sagan, right, in my opinion, he seems to be at his best once the puck is in the offensive zone. And with the, you know, the the more subtle passing, right, the give and goes, he, he does have you know, stick handling. So I'm not saying he can't handle the puck, but Sagan seems to be at his best when he's working in concert with forwards or, you know, or defense, right? One or two of his other teammates in about a 10 foot box, right? And those, those quick passes, quick shifts, get the defense moving. All of a sudden somebody pops open, right? The, the quick, the fast twitch stuff. 
versus getting the puck in the defensive zone, progressing it through the neutral zone, and then generating the scoring chance. And it seems like Deshane has really stepped in and has had a lot of success being the the guy that gets the puck from the defensive zone into the offensive zone, at which point, the like you said, at which point he and Sagan become more creative facilitators and all Marchment really has to do is generate chaos and get to spots. And he seems very well suited for that. So I think that's why we're seeing that group being so productive right now. Yep, it, it's fun to watch. And I, I've said some some things that were pretty harsh about Mason Marshman in the past. And uh, and he's found a nice little home here. And and if he can stay with that line and that those type of players, I think he his contract's a very good contract. I mean, if he's playing this way, it's a steal. And I think, yeah, to your point, the, the challenge for this group is going to be, you know, Duchesne has missed not much time, but he, I think he missed a couple games early in the season. Sagan had to leave one early. This isn't a unit. Marchman had troubles last year, right? This isn't a unit that you necessarily pencil everybody in for 82, right? So I, I and it's also, we've seen what happens in the past with Sagan's production and with Marchman's production when it's it's a two-man game instead of a three-man game. So I, I do think that that there needs to be, you know, it's it would be interesting to me if other guys, you, obviously you don't mess with it right now, but I think over the course of the entire season, it would be awfully nice to figure out, you know, maybe it's Wyatt Johnston, maybe it's Jason Robertson, right? Maybe Pavelski for a little bit. It, it'd be interesting to see who might work as a replay, you know, maybe if, if could Marshman move a line or, or is it, is it Sagan that would go? He's played well with the other groups before, but it'd, it'd be interesting to see how things might look if they mix up a bit. Yeah. And, and this is something that Dallas hasn't had to face a whole lot over the last couple of years. This is a team that's been healthy. And in the past, what this has meant is that you'd have, you know, somebody like Radic Fox or Ty Delandria playing up in the lineup and, and it would, you know, it, it would add a little bit to their game, but it would subtract a whole bunch from the Lions game. And I think this year, maybe Dallas is in a position where, especially if you have somebody who's going on IR, you have the opportunity to maybe get somebody up from uh, Peter Park. Perhaps and I would. Perhaps I would think. I would think. I would think that maybe if you have uh, you know, a, a couple weeks without Matt Duchesne, this is where you see somebody like Maverick Bork show up, where where their game is complementary to Duchesne, and and you have to see it on the ice. But I think there's a pretty good argument out there that says that Bork just drops in into a two C spot, and if he's playing with Sagan and Marchman, that line may not fall off that much. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know Stankoven being the other name and it's it's a testament to in years past like you said health was the issue because there was nobody to displace and the guys they had weren't necessarily suited for that third spot on the line this year DHL's two leading scorers are both in Cedar Park and it's much easier to see the team finding options in the event somebody goes down or, or you know productivity injury whatever happens so it's it, it's encouraging what's happening on the ice and it's a little bit, you can breathe a little bit easier. They're, they feel like they're a little bit more insulated from problems than they've been in the past, right? They're not they're not one injury away from us being back to the dark days of Sagan and Foxa and Delandria and wondering why he's not as productive as he used to be. Oh, the, this is such a good segue then to talk about defense where the opposite is now in fact true. Oh, let's do it. Let's dive in, right? So, so Mark, 
if things are so great with the offense, what do we possibly have to complain about? Well, we we have <laughs> Leon Bixel, who's now played his first game um, with with Rugel uh, in the Swedish league. So you also have Gavin Bayreuther, who was supposed to be the uh, kind of the safety net down in Cedar Park, and he's hurt and maybe gone for the whole year, but certainly till late spring. Um, you don't have a whole lot of reinforcements sitting there ready for uh, for coming in on the defense, and so. It's it's Joel Hanley filling in any spots where he can, and you have Nils Lundqvist who has absolutely no the the coaching staff has no confidence in um, Thomas Harley living up to expectations, and Miro Haskinen playing uh, pretty much half the game almost. So uh, there, there there's some room for some concern there because this is a unit that over the last couple months has uh, forced Jake Ottinger to. Stand on his head if he's gonna if the stars are going to keep the score down from being four four and we've seen a lot of four 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 five games here lately. Yeah, and you know it's it's the the thing I would say is even amongst those players, Harley's had some struggles this season. Well, the you know the offense is still there. He's you know well up on the team and in, in goals, but he's had some benching issues. He's not been exactly leveraged at all you know in in some of the when when games get tight whether it's it's deserved or otherwise right the the go-to seems to be leaning on Hawkeye and Lindell as a shutdown or turfing Lundquist and Harley and then having Miro play as much as he possibly can that, that seems to be the recipe right now yeah and and it's almost better when they're down if you're looking at the defense because uh, DeBoer seems to have moved to understanding that if he puts Harley out there with with Haskinen, that that unit is extremely productive. And if you take a look at their expected goal share when when they're on the ice together, it's somewhere up in the 65, 70 percent range. Yeah. So now, how much of that is sample size driven? Because we haven't seen that unit together a ton yet. I'm, I'll, I'll have to look at the number of minutes, but it's not small. It, it, it's it's large enough so that uh, it's it's something that is not a statistical anomaly. You know, it may it may reset down to sixty, but it's it's a solid pair. Yeah, which tracks. I mean, that, that should be a solid pair. The problem, to your point though, the problem with those kinds of moves is right now Hockenpah is a problem, and Hockenpah yeah. is on a heater. What are you talking about? He has three assists in the last three games. It's true. That's true. But um, we are not fooled by this. Uh, And especially I think it's it's I think you hit the nail on the head saying that it's almost better when they're trailing because this team just doesn't seem their their defense in particular. You have Miro, of course, can do it all, but it's almost like everybody else on that unit can do part of the job not all of the job so you really have to be careful about like depending upon the game situation you're in Essel and Dell could be very useful he could also not be useful at all right the same thing with Hockenpah same thing with Thomas Harley um you know Suter as well like so you've got a bunch of guys that you kind of have to have the game break a certain way to to get the most out of and and to your, you know, your point about options, right? The two guys that might have been in the minor leagues are, 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 you know, no longer for various reasons. And you've got about half a million dollars in cap space, and that's just not going to get you a player that's going to help. So they're kind of stuck, in my opinion, right now. Well, I think if they stay healthy, what you do is you keep on, you know, accumulating cap space. 
And by the time you get to the trade deadline, you probably have enough built up so that you can go make a, a pretty good splash on a rental. Yep. And, and and after the success that Jim Neal had last year with the rentals with, with Domi and Dedenoff, uh, I, I think he's got to feel pretty confident in that. And so yeah. that, that I think is, is, you know, option one, a uh, option, option two is, you know, if you have injuries that uh, don't allow you to accumulate enough cap to go somewhere, um, that's what you do. Um, you, you, you ride what you have probably. And, and that's that maybe uh, most of us don't want to see. I think, but it, it may be we, and we talked about this last week. It may be this team's best option is the, the, because the other problem is again, the type of help th- this team doesn't need a, you know, a bottom pairing defenseman, right? They need, if, if something, the, the, the thing that this unit truly, truly needs is a defender that will displace Ryan Suter on the other side of the Haskinen pairing and get Miro onto his his natural side, the left, right? Like that's that's what if if you are, you know, if, if you turn if you're playing a video game and you turn you know the G the other team's GM AI all the way to the bottom, you know you're you're swinging a deal for that guy, and the dual challenges are there there are very few of them. And it's more than dual challenges, but there are very few of them. The team you're challenging with knows how desperate you are and you don't have a whole lot to deal with. Right. So it's it's one of those. And the risk that Dallas runs is they either have to take a pretty significant swing to get the thing that's actually going to help them. And and by significant swing, I mean, you're you're not going to flip, you know, Radic Foxa and a draft pick. Right. You're you're going to have to trade assets to get the player you need. And then you're going to have to trade other assets to get rid of the cap to get the cap space that you need to train the to trade the player. You know what I mean? Like it's it's going yep. to be a big. It's going to be it's a. Not a it's not a simple. Down. It's not a simple trade. It it, it involves moving pieces, and, and it involves moving pieces that Stars fans aren't going to want to see in the trade. Yep. yep. Like honestly, ask ask yourself. Right? Is 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 Logan Stankoven worth? the player that will get Miro Haskinen onto the left side and Ryan Suter off of the first pairing. No. Yeah. But that, and I, but I, and I think that's the dilemma. And I think as a, as a fan, and I think even if you're Jim Nil, you're hoping that the defense can keep it together enough to not force you into that situation because your other option is just like hoping somebody demands a trade. You know what I mean? It's it, you, you, otherwise you're hoping that some outside force acts to drop the guy you need into your lap. Like and, and, Sagan, Sagan having his issues in Boston and all of a sudden a very good player goes on the market when he you know, probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have been. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're really, you're really talking about maybe three different options here. And I think from the stars perspective, the best option is that Ryan Suter and Niels Lundqvist as a pair, as a third pair. And you move Essa Lindell up to play with, Top top minutes with uh, with Miro, and let, let's let's take a step back maybe here at this point. Miro's been successful with two types of defenders: a, a pure stay-at-home bad guy. adverse, <laughs> a, a, a pure stay-at-home guy. I mean, how how successful was he with Roman Polak? Well, you could argue you could argue that uh, that Polak was not nearly at Haskinen's level, but Miro made that work, and he work because he knew he had somebody behind him at all times the other way you do it is that you put somebody up there who's just as mobile 
as as he is and 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 he can maybe be the defensive guy in the pairing but the other guy isn't just a complete bad black hole and that's why something like uh, Thomas Harley works because they're both just really good at, at at moving the puck forward and so they can get out of the zone a lot quicker than anybody else and the only real danger that you have is that they're going to get not be able to clear out the net front, but they, they've successfully avoided that for the most part. Um, so I think Haskinen and Lindell, if you play Lindell as a as a pure stay-at-home defender, works. He's used to the minutes, and and he's still pretty good as a defensive defender. Um, I think Harley and Hockenpah works. Harley spent a lot of time in Cedar Park with uh, with Petrovic. Same kind of guy, a stay-at-home defender, big guy, going to eat up the crease and allow Harley to do what he wants. Suter and Lundqvist hasn't really worked so far, and it really needs to. Yeah. And if it and if it doesn't, and the coaching staff doesn't have um, doesn't have faith in, in Lundqvist, they need to they need to cut their losses. And you, you do something like you know Edmonton just sent down uh, who who was it Broberg. Um, top 10 draft choice uh, just hasn't quite fit in with the Oilers. You do you do kind of one of these uh, you know hockey trades where we can't get anything out of this guy, you can't get anything out of that guy. Let's swap them and see if change of scenery works. And and that could happen as well. Yeah, I mean the but and you're hitting on it. That could happen. The issue the issue is you know once you start that shuffle, who who where does the you know once you move Lindell away from Hawk and Pa, right? You have to have certainty that that Harley and and um, Hawk and Pa can get the job done. That that Suter and Lundqvist or Suter and Hanley or some some combination. But you know I think that's, prob- that's probably probably at about the point to try it. Yeah, I mean if you took a look at last night, I I think uh, Tiffin pointed out that. Uh, that Harley had a full ship shift with every single other defender. And that's kind of how you do it. You, you, you know, this is what the regular season's for when yep. you're, uh, when you're pushing for a Stanley cup, you, you, you aren't fighting for that last spot in, in the wild card. What it gives you the luxury to do is to try out some different things, still make the playoffs and find what really is going to, is going to work for you in the playoffs. And, and the stars need to be doing that. I will say, and the one piece of this I, I disagree with is I actually, I, and I forget who I was talking about this with during the Washington game. I actually don't have a problem with the the amount of ice time Miro's getting right now. He is a 24 year old number one defenseman in the NHL, right? Playing 25 minutes plus a night, like that's that's yeah. You want to find you want to be selective, find games here and there. You know, sure you don't want to do it like necessarily every night, but. I don't. I don't personally think the problem is that he's on the ice too much. I just think it's who he's with while he's out there. I, I don't think he's having a good time with it. I, I think he's very frustrated yep. that he, you know, he came into the season looking at this is what I need to do in order to in order to be in the Norris conversation, and he's been put in a situation where he. If you want to go to really simple stats, you know, what what is he? Either the bottom or close to the bottom in in plus minus. Uh, no, he he can't be having a good time watching the puck go in the net all the time when he's on the ice. Yeah, and I, and I, I don't even think it matters. It, it, it doesn't matter whether it's his fault, not his fault, somebody else's fault. Yeah, it's it's just a bummer thing to to well, watch. He's an alpha. Yeah, he, he's an he's an alpha. He takes responsibility for it no matter what. He's the best player on the team. Yeah, he is. Uh, that's just Far that's none. just the attitude he's going to take. He's going to he's going to take pride in going going negative all the time. It's going to eat at him like nothing. 
Yep. And and he is and not only that is I think he sh- he should be and he's a different player. I think Ray Ferraro last night during the broadcast made the Scott Niedermeyer com- uh, comparison. Yep. And I think that's bang on. Right. And I think that he's the guy I think he belongs in the same conversation as the Adam Foxes and the Kale McCars. And I, I do truly believe that he is in that echelon of defenders. I think he gets there a little differently. I don't think he's he's as otherworldly in certain areas, whereas he's more of the guy that just does everything constantly well. Right. With no drop off. But I, I do think we are this season more than any other to date. We are seeing the consequences of Dallas's philosophy of let's use Miro to solve a problem versus let's put Miro in a position to excel. Yeah. And you don't need a number number one guy in order to do it. I mean, take a look at Carlson and Mathot. You know, we, we saw the end of Mathot's career. He was a defensive defender. He was probably a solid second pair guy, but you put him with uh, with this offensive guy and he's just he's the glue that holds the pair together. Well, it allows even, that creative guy to go out there and and do what he does. Absolutely. And then the other bit with Miro is even if he is the you know offensive guy on the pairing, you're still going to get defensive play out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like it, what we're not saying, and I'm, I feel confident putting these words into your mouth, Mark. What we're not saying is we need to get somebody, you know, we need to put S on that on that pairing so that Miro can never worry about playing defense again. He's too good for that. Right. It's Miro's going to be fantastic in both ends, no matter what. It's just more about not having giving him a little bit of a safety net so that he can when he when Miro does pinch the guy that he's exposing is more capable of dealing with it, I guess, yep. is, is the thing. Yeah, it, it it means that his first thought isn't, hey, I need to peel back to to stop odd man rushes. I, I can commit a little bit more into the offensive zone. My immediate read doesn't mean doesn't have to be get back. Yeah. And then I think I, I believe it was David Castillo on his Substack, which is a fantastic read. Stars fans should talk about it, uh, should should read it. He was also talking about some of it's a mentality change of maybe not everybody on the unit gets to play the same way. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's, you know, may, maybe maybe the Yanni Hockenpahs and the Esselindels and, and the Ryan Suters are, you know, maybe – as, as much as as Dallas tends to when they are playing well, as, as much as they tend to play well when they have an aggressive defense pinching and, and sustaining possession and creating chances, the reality of this team is maybe there there are some guys that that should have a little bit more of a restricted role. Yeah, yeah, I, I have no problem with that. I, I David writes good stuff. He, he's got a big brain. I'm, I'm with him. And and because and I want to segue this, one of the other things you mentioned is what is one of the other big differences defensively, you know, that we've seen this team versus previous seasons? <sighs> OK, uh, tell me where you're going. It, it rhymes with make Mottinger. <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't well, been bad, who hasn't Jake, been bad, but Jake, Jake started out on fire. He did. And he has not been on fire lately. And and it's kind of the same chances. Um, you know, he 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 took the team on his shoulders with with this humongous number of odd man rushes that we were giving up early on in the year, and uh, and pretty much got the team off to a good start. And lately, some of those have been sneaking in. It's not that the defense isn't giving up the chances; it's that uh, Jake is showing he's a little humid every human every once in a while. And it it shows you again, you know, when talking about this defensive, you know, so much of Dallas is in the same way that historically, right, Dallas had the one great forward line and the offense, the the big number always looked great. They were near the top of the league in scoring and, and everything was great. 
because the you know the Spetsa line or the the Radulov line, you know, because they're one they had one fire breathing dragon. Defensively, you know, we talked about how great the Dallas's penalty kill was earlier this season. How much of that, as we're seeing Ottinger cool down a little bit, kind of how how much of that success was maybe not necessarily due to the stellar play of the defenders in front of him as it was he was just saving everything, right? And and when your keeper's keeping everything out, everybody looks good defensively. Yep. Yeah. So let's let's uh let's figure out what we can do to get Jake back to early season Jake. Well, I, I mean, honestly, I think goaltending, my, my personal opinion is goaltending, and this isn't a novel thing to say, but goaltending is crazy. And I don't, I just don't think you can ever plan on, it, it's one of those things where you find a guy whose benchmark is really good. And I think that's Ottinger. He's not playing poorly now. And you plan for the norm and you just hope it's, you know, Aiden Hill won a Stanley Cup, right? You, you, uh, so did Jeff Benning, so Jordan Bennington, sorry. Uh, you hope that when the playoffs start, you get Calgary Jake Ottinger for four rounds. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think as a team philosophy, you can really build it assuming that that's the play you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, what you hope is that you have a, have a 1A who's going to keep you in the game and is going to make the best goaltenders are actually the ones who keep the easier shots out yep. and, and are athletic enough to make that highlight real save. Not, not all the time, but, but enough of the time. And, and, and Jake is, is definitely one of those guys. He's, he's top 10, arguably top five in the league at, at doing just that. Yeah, I mean, you you want the guy to make the saves he's supposed to, and you want at least the possibility that he'll go crazy and steal around. When when the stars made the bubble cup, right? How much of that was was um, Hobby Bullen getting? Not Hobby, goodness, <laughs> Hudobin. Thank Hudobin. you, Hudobin. <laughs> wow. How much of that was Dobby getting? You know, going insane for a round, right? And getting yeah. him past, getting him past, and then you know, kind of regressing. How much of when they they you know when they almost stole one against St. Louis, right? That was, that was Bishop putting on a clinic, right? So you, you want a guy that has that, that high end without the inconsistency at the bottom end is kind of your ideal. Cause nobody really over the long term is able to be that all of the time. Yeah. Maybe Hasek. Maybe Hasek. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, it's a conundrum, man. I don't know that there's an easy solution um, it's kind of holistic. I don't think that you can really, I, I don't think the answer is to, to kind of throttle down the offense because right now you, you have to score four or five goals to be competitive. You can't really, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. it's tricky. This, this team is, this team is much more of a Lindy rough team than it is a, a rig bonus team. And I think, uh, as a fan, you have to be happy for that. And, and if, you aren't used to this kind of Dallas Stars hockey. <laughs> if you've been around long enough, you've seen it. You, you've seen it with Ben and Sagan. So I mean, this personally, is I love these it. These guys can do. It, it's fun to watch. It's it's fun to watch, and and I still think that it's it's this team. It still gives this team an exceptionally high end to me, because the playoffs are going to roll around, and you can shorten your bench. And you know, yeah, you need to get lucky with health, but everybody needs to get lucky with health all the time, right? But you figure out a little bit of this stuff. Let's let's just say you know you put some faith in Hanley or Harley. Apologies, and, and let's say by the end of the season, Harley is is kind of firmly established as that number two. He 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 lets you push Lindell to to the mirror unit. You get to the playoffs. Two two defensive pairings is really all you need. 
You know what I mean? Like you can for for a couple of rounds, it it was the old um the old Anaheim model when they'd run Niedermeyer, Pronger, and Beauchemin, right? They had three guys, and two of those three were on the ice at, at any given point. Uh, you know that you can do that once you get to the postseason, and so a lot of this stuff drops away as long as Dallas can solve the second pairing, and that's you know you just hope they can. Yep, that's what the regular season's for when you're a Stanley Cup contender. It is, and we are going to go ahead. I think this is a good segue. Any anything else to say before we get into our our video on the radio, Mark? Let's, let's do let's do some video on the radio. Video on the radio. So we were just talking about uh, the defense and Johnny Hockenpah. One of your clips is of the Strom snipe. So why don't you why don't you set up why don't why don't you go first? Yeah. Okay. Well, I actually have two clips here. Yes. One of them one of them is the is the beginning of a play, and one of them is the end of a play. And and what we're talking about here is uh, you know the stars have tied things up at three three and uh, they go they go on the penalty kill a little bit of a weak call on Radek Foxa but uh, they're killing things off for the most part uh, Hawk and Pog gets the puck behind the net get, it gets kicked off and it goes right to Sam Steele who bumps it up to Jamie Ben who then hits a streaking Sam Steele on, on, on a you know what what Probably wasn't going to be an odd man rush, but steals pretty quick, and so he he takes Ben's uh, he takes Ben's feed and and goes in on Lindgren, and Ben just kind of goes into uh, in, into slow mode, looking at the play. Um, Steel hits the pads and it bounces right to Ovechkin, and and Ben is coming in and and just kind of gliding. And as soon as he realizes uh, that this puck is potentially going the other way, he hits the gas, but he's far enough in so that he has to go all the way behind the, the Capitals net and pretty much takes himself out of the play. And so my concern on this is just it, it's a little bit of the situational uh, awareness that, that I think it, it's kind of a theme that I hit on some of these things. You know, when, as soon as Ben makes that pass, is he thinking I need to go in and potentially see what's going to happen with the rebound off of, uh, off of Steele's shot, or should it be I'm on the penalty kill? I've done what I need to do. I need to put myself back into a defensive posture. Yeah, and and he ends up not being aggressive and charging the net, just kind of observing and takes himself completely out of a play. And so that's that's kind of that's kind of the, the first the first video that I have out there is just watching watching Ben uh, watching Ben not not doing anything aggressive enough and it's, playing defense aggressive enough or or offensive aggressive enough. And it's to me that that is an, such an interesting example of the level of focus that is required to be an elite player. Because like those are a series of very small decisions, yep. And there's a lot good going on in that play too. That the you know the, the initial the chip pass that he ma- that he makes to set up the scoring like they they almost get a goal. The the sequence starts with Dallas almost scoring, yep. and it's it's just one of those funny you know it's it's part of why I think we're we're drawn to hockey is that you have to make a series of correct decisions one after the other in real time without pause or something bad can happen and. We see that in this case. There's, there's, like you said, maybe he's he's caught between two minds. There's, there's probably an impulse of, hey, we almost scored. Maybe we still can. There's also that penalty kill impulse, and he kind of gets stuck between the two decisions. 
and it leads to, you know, disaster. Yeah, and, and we go down the other way, and what it leads to is a three-on-two where the puck gets onto Anthony Mantha's stick coming down the left wing, and you have you have Dylan Strom as a trailer, and Ovechkin, who originally gets the puck off the pads of the, of the goaltender, coming down the right, right wing uh, stick tapping. And so you have Hawk and Pond Lindell, which is really the pair that you want back. But what happens is that Mantha drives a little deep on the uh, uh, on the left wing and drops it down to Strom. And Hockenpah is actually in pretty good position. But if you take a look at, at, at his actions, because it looks like Mantha's driving a little bit deep, he makes a subtle body adjustment so that he's not just facing Strom, but that he's kind of uh, facing in between Strom and Mantha. And that little micro move moves his stick about an inch, and it's that inch that stops him from blocking the shot that comes off of Strom's stick, and Strom puts it into the into the right corner and scores. So that's just a little subtle move that Mantha makes, and a little body position adjustment that Hockenpah makes where his stick gets out of position. Ninety nine percent of the time, Hockenpah is going to have his stick in that in that spot. And he's probably likely going to have his stick in that spot, even knowing that the manth is coming down. But he just makes a micro adjustment, and it ruins the whole play for Dallas. Yeah, it's it's funny. Go. It was um, back when Adam Oates was sort of the the skill coach of the day. He he gave a bunch of interviews, and and one of the things he would always talk about was showing images, predominantly Gretzky footage to his clients talking about exactly what you're saying. And, and it's not about, he, he tended to not favor, you know, saucering the puck and trying to elevate because it slowed it down, but really focusing on moving the, the puck a foot or two in one direction to slide a stick out of the lane. Because as with, you know, as with the bin player at the level, these guys are playing, moving the stick a foot or two is the difference between a, a fairly benign blocked shot and a goal against. Yeah, and here it's kind of interesting because I was looking to see whether Strom did a little adjustment to change his angle. And Strom really doesn't change. It's the body position of of Hawk and Paw that moves the stick out of the shooting lane. And so that's something I think I think, you know, deep down it's not something that you'll notice unless you spend a lot of time looking at it, but I'm guessing that Hawk and Paw would want that back. Yeah, it just seems like he overplayed the the uh, when when the pass drops back to Strom, it seemed like he never got set when he had to re kind of refocus where he was defending. Right. Well, it's kind of weird because it's not it's not like his arm is moving the stick; it's that his body moves and that moves the stick. Yeah. So anyway, those those are those are my two. It's it's kind of just little tiny little things that that turn something that is potentially good but certainly not not anything other than benign and it it ends with the puck in the net <laughs> so my mine went the other way it's our good friend mush and i'm looking at the uh, it's, it's about 2 minutes and 51 seconds left in the second period against washington when they score um when he scores to what will eventually turn into the goal to make it 3 to 2 washington and it's it's one of those i think it's it's a funny play because, you know, Dallas has some sustained, uh, you know, it starts off by winning a faceoff, uh, you know, rips it right back. I think it's Haskinen takes the shot. And in the melee that follows, Marchment's stick gets checked out of his hands. And 
at the NHL, you know, he he stops and clearly has an opinion. Stick slide into the corner. He stops to look at the referee asking for a call. While he is doing this, right, Washington has two players progressing up the ice and, and Marchment, Marchment stopping effectively turns it into a two-on-one, right? He, he begins the sequence in perfectly fine position, stick or no, to provide at least some, some sort of assistance to Thomas Harley, right? He's, he's there. He's, he's skating. He's not flat-footed. There's, there's no reason to think that he couldn't you know, put a body on somebody and help Thomas Harley out. Instead, he you know, spreads his arms, turns back towards the bench to retrieve his stick, literally removes himself from the play. All of a sudden it's a two on one and he forces, you know, forces Wedgwood to make a good save. And the sort of thing that will, you know, infuriate a coach, get you benched, right? It's, this is, this is just, it's, it's an inattentive. It's, it's a bit of a petulant play. It's, it's one of those things where he completely removes himself from a position of helping his team. It's a really, it, it makes you pull your hair out. It's a frustrating thing to see. So of course, you know, 15 seconds later, he's on the receiving end of a Duchesne pass and scores a beautiful one-timer to uh, to close the gap to one. And and it's just, to me, it's one of those funny, you know, hockey is a fickle mistress things because he screws up to start that sequence. It's indefensible. He screws up. But by virtue of screwing up, he falls behind the Washington coverage, turns it into a two-on-one going Dallas's direction, ends up being the hero anyways. So it's just sort of the season that he's having, I guess, that even when he makes a mistake, he, uh, he uh, you know, succeeds in the end. Yeah, and it was so weird. I When when you pulled that clip, I, I probably looked at it 20 times trying to figure out how in the world he lost his stick. He gets it, it. You can see he gets it just a little bit on his on his uh, his top hand. It's not much, but there's the I, and I, I can't see the number on the the four, the sorry, the the Washington player. There's just a little bit of contact on March's upper hand. So he, he my guess based on what I could see, he probably got it on the knuckles. Right. Yeah, he's probably looking for a slash. There's no yep. doubt about it. Yep. Yeah. But, but I think it, that's I think that's where the contact was. He got he got he felt something on his hand, dropped his stick, thinking he'd get a call, and then you know, lost it when he didn't. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is kind of why I think Marchment gets this bit of a of, of a love hate type thing, because you know if I if I'm watching if I'm watching FC Dallas, I'm I'm sitting there uh, complaining about diving. And it's like this is this is something that in almost all sports people just kind of play through. And Marchman's one of the players where he's if he's taken advantage of, he's going to what, what's the term that they officially use? Embellish. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, he, that's he's going to he's going to try and draw attention to it. And you know, Essa Lindell ran into this what a couple of years ago in the playoffs against St. Louis, where he took one just drastic dive, and I, I think he, you know, I've never viewed Essa Lindell as a diver, but this one thing kind of gave him the reputation through. I think it was the St. Louis fan base, where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah Lindell's just a diver. He's really a pretty tough guy. Um, Marchman does this all the time, and and. I'm not a big fan of it just because I think I want to play through it. And most of the time playing through it is going to uh, give you a little more advantage in hockey than it, uh, than it does in maybe soccer. Well, it's funny because he leads the team. 
he he draws 2.18 penalties per 60 minutes, right? Ahead of the team, ahead of Hintz, who is 1.18. So significantly higher than the next guy. But he also leads the uh, the team in penalties taken per 60. So it's it's one of those with Marchment, it's it's he is a basically he is a he is a net positive, but not by as much as um that as he might be. But yeah, you can see it's definitely part of his game, right? He wants to draw yeah. attention. He wants to draw attention to contact. He's gonna he's gonna throw his head back if his stick gets up there. He's going to uh, you know, when there's when there's contact, when he feels something around his hands, he's gonna drop his stick. It's it's clearly part of what he's out there to do. And I, I think you're right. You know, it's it's a he's on our team, so I'm gonna, you know, be mad and then celebrate the goal and kind of roll my eyes at the entire situation. But I'd, you know, probably be pretty frustrated to play against him. I, I bet he's playing this way when he's when he's producing. He seems like he would be miserable to play against in a playoff series. Yeah, because you know he's going to be chirping about the whole thing and <laughs> and, and getting under your skin. And uh, if, if he if he draws a call that's kind of questionable, he's certainly going to let you know that he owns you. So yeah, I yep. That's that's why we pay him the money that we pay him. We we knew what he was coming in and. This is a good demonstration of it, and you just kind of hope that it doesn't bite you at a point in the you know come playoff time where for for whatever reason uh, he burned an official on a bad call before, and so he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt the next time out. It's more important. And that's that is the the that is the long term risk of players of that type is you know referees are human beings as well, and they certainly don't like it looking stupid. And finding out after a game that they got clowned into one. So you you riding that line is fine. You just have to be real careful that you don't go that one step too far. You know, you don't you don't want to piss off Tim Peel that one time and never get a call again. Yep. Yep. So I mean you can you kinda have to own it as a fan. This this is what you got. You know that's what he does, and you laugh you laugh at it when it works and you laugh at it when it doesn't work. And uh, that's just the player you got. And hopefully it turns out to be that net positive that, that it is right now. I mean, if he keeps playing the way he's playing right now, then works for me, man. Yep. Let's go. Let, let's go, baby. Mark, thanks. As always, KT, for doing the, the hard work putting this together. Don't forget to, uh, to interact with us, right? Listen to us, like us, talk to us on the socials, on the site. We are uh, we're, we're happy, to, happy to, to bring this vital service to you. So, um, yeah, take it easy and we will, we'll speak soon.